Most people don't know they can actually choose what they think. Maybe you've been in a place in your life or business where the soundtrack that is playing is one that has kept you tethered to the past. Changing the soundtrack of your life involves interrupting the pattern of overthinking so you don't stay stuck in those old mindsets. Today on the Courage Cast, I'm chatting with best-selling author John Acuff about how to identify the soundtracks we've been listening to and how to be intentional about co-creating new soundtracks for our lives. All that creativity you've been applying to the old story about yourself, you can apply to the new story. And it might feel awkward at first because you might not believe it at first. Like there's times where like you don't believe the new thing yet because it's new. It feels like wearing your your mom's dress at the eighth grade dance or your dad's blazer at the eighth, like it doesn't fit yet, but you give it time and you grow into it. And it's so fun when you, you'll look up one day and go, wait a second, like I've been believing this for a year. It's different. Like, and you go, oh, okay, yeah, all right. Well, I gotta continue and you continue to do it. It's a practice. It's not a it's not a one or done. Like like most life change, it's a practice that you get to work on. And that's what I think is fun. You're listening to the Courage Cast, a show to equip and empower women to live bravely. Each week we'll share coaching conversations and stories of women who are willing to face their fear and pursue their purpose. Here's your host, life coach, author, and your secret weapon. Hey there, welcome to the Courage Cast. My name is Andrea Crisp. I'm your host. So glad that you've joined me today for such a fun conversation. Today I'm chatting with John Acuff. If you have never listened to the Courage Cast before and you're a fan of John's, I'm just so grateful that you're here. But if you are someone who listens to the Courage Cast on a regular basis, you are in for such a treat. When I got a hold of John's new book called Soundtracks, it was exactly what I needed for this time in my life because I have been a self-proclaimed chronic overthinker and it pretty much permeates every single area of my life. I really needed to read this book. I really needed to put it in practice because there was so much that I was just in my head about. And I didn't realize that the overthinking was actually a pattern that needed to be interrupted in my life so that I could start really creating new soundtracks in my life. So if you've been in a place in your own life where you have been feeling like you're rehearsing the same narrative over and over, the same story, or in musical terms, a soundtrack, then this is an episode that I really truly believe is gonna help you. Plus. If you are a fan of 80s and 90s music, then you're going to absolutely love our conversation as well, because we're going to talk about some of our favorite artists, concerts, and some of the soundtracks of our own lives. So I'm really excited today to bring to you John Acuff. Now I'm going to be serious. I'm not going to tell any <laughs> funny stories. Now I'm like professional. Now it's all pro. All pro. Yeah, from, from Shania Twain to uh, Extreme, we've got all of yeah. the soundtracks covered today. Nuno Betancourt. What a great guitar player name. Nuno Betancourt. you got to be able to play guitar if that's your name. It's a legit name. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when I... I'll, we'll, just, we'll just go ahead if you're, if you're cool with that. Sure, totally. Um, when I started reading your book, and of course, like I am a musician, so like the title of it, first of all, just grabbed me soundtracks. Yep. And I was like, I totally resonate with that because I feel like if I could live in this world where there were musical soundtracks to my life, 
it would really like I could say this was the soundtrack of you know my teenage life this was the oh, soundtrack yeah. of my college life this was the soundtrack of you know and moving on and it's so interesting that you know we our memories store these musical moments mm -hmm. they store these things I remember you know you, you mentioned extreme more than words one of my favorite songs great song um, and I can immediately picture myself at Evangel University Springfield Missouri sitting on the couches in the music department with Greg Wessel and he's playing that on the guitar and I'm like transported there like in a hot minute yeah totally totally well he probably knew that and he knew Wonderwall's uh, like Oasis by Wonderwall <laughs> or Wonderwall by Oasis that was the, the, those are the two songs that if you owned a, like an acoustic guitar in the 90s you had to be able to play both of those or depending on your age like the beginning of uh Every Rose Has Its Thorn by Poison. That was the other, yes. like, th that was the other song that you had. Yeah, there were like three songs that everybody knew, and those are the three. Yeah. And then it moved, you know, it kind of incrementally shifted to John Mayer. Oh, and, yeah. And Dave Matthews Band, right? So, and then they were, you know. Who have you seen in concert more than anyone else? Oh, more than anyone else? Yeah. Like, I've seen this oh. person, this band the most in concert. Hillsong United. Oh yeah, yeah. That's, a, That's that feels like, like. If, so, is your favorite book the Bible? Is that going to be your answer for that, no. for that question well, I... too? You can only no. have one book. You get who would you have dinner with? Jesus. Yeah. Bono. So, yeah, Bono. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's the alive Jesus. Yeah. That's so funny. apparently not the dude from Extreme because no. he's doing he's at the leg press machine. Yeah, he's on Cameo. I'm sure a lot of these folks are available on Cameo. Yeah, no, that's for me. It's the Counting Crows. I've seen the Counting Crows more than any other any other band. Definitely, probably like seven or eight times. Let's say. Um, really. Dave Matthews is up there too. I bet. Yeah, I yeah, love I've the Counting Crows. I've never seen now one of my like all time favorite. Like I have some all time favorite concerts. Like I love John Mayer in concert. He he was amazing. But my like the one that got me the most, I saw Aretha Franklin in uh, yeah. uh, an outdoor concert and like it literally gave me chills. Yeah, hey, you know, legend. I mean, it's watching oh. a legend, you know? Yeah, the it was... the ultimate craftswoman at at her at her skill. Yeah, of course. That's that's like seeing the Rolling Stones. It's kind of like you can then play the game of who do you wish you had seen when they were still alive? And you're like, you have to go yeah. like Prince. Like I, for me, it's like oh. Prince in excess. Um, like who else? Tom Petty. Like there, it's so it's a, you know, it's not as fun a list. Cause you're like, I wish these people were still around, but like Prince feels like it's on, he's on everybody's list. Oh, a hundred percent. hundred percent. See, this is the best conversation I've had in See? a really long time. Easy. You talked about anything that we we're going to talk about. I don't now. think we've sold any books, which really, I mean, that's kind of both <laughs> of our goals. Move some units. Babies need shoes. Babies need shoes. We talked about Hillsong United and Jesus and Bono. That's, that is quite a trifecta. It, re it really is. Uh, your, your new book, Soundtracks, The Surprising Solution to Overthinking. I have to say, first of all, number one, it's a great book. Oh, thanks. But um, I am a one on the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. So I like to class my, classify myself as a perfectionist in recovery. Sure. So it was really interesting the day this arrived in the mail for me. And mm -hmm. I, I took it out and I was, it was, I was just literally 
at a place in my life where I was doing mindset work around overthinking. Mm-hmm. And I sat down and I was going to think, I'm actually literally going to do mindset work about overthinking. I'm like, who does mindset work like yeah. about trying to mm-hmm. stop overthinking? Isn't that what you're doing right now is overthinking this, mm-hmm. overthinking this? Yeah. The loop, the and, loop, the loop. Yeah. Yeah. And I got your book and I started reading it and I actually did put some of these things into practice, which had a huge impact on me. Oh, awesome. And transformation. So I, I'm going to talk, we want to talk about that, but uh, I want to say thank you. And before we get started, I just want to read something out of it. Um, replacing your soundtracks is about identifying what soundtracks you've been listening to and then owning the responsibility of changing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, think- I love that. I think part of the challenge is most people don't understand that they get to choose what they think, that they don't get to control their thoughts. Most people think a thought is something that just kind of shows up on its own accord and they have no power over it. And so when you, which is why we say things like she got lost in her thoughts or she got carried away by her thoughts. Um, And I mean, even when we'll say like, it seems like you're having a bad day. Yeah, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed as if that had something to do um, with the day. And so when you realize, wait a second, no, I get to write new thoughts. I get to choose those ahead of time. I get to create those and I get to work at those and be intentional about those. That's what's so fun because it's like this completely different superpower opens up to you that you go, wait, are you for real that I have permission to do this? And there's some simple things I can do. That for me was what was so exciting about doing it. And it's just been exciting to see the response from people that go, I didn't know I was allowed to do that. I thought, I, one, I didn't know I was listening to soundtracks. Like, whoa, I've got some that I didn't think, I didn't know how much they were a part of my life. And two, I didn't know I'd get to do something. Like that's just mm-hmm. been such a joy for me. Yeah, you, you talk about one of the stories in the book about when you went away with your wife. And you're climbing up some stairs. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. That that actually got me, and I, I actually felt like almost sick to my stomach. Yeah. Reading that part. Okay, so I want you just to kind of just fill us a little. Yeah. Bit so that like story. that's one of those things that we've joked about it for years, and it took me years to go, oh wait a second. You know, like it's a story. There's times where you tell a story about yourself, and eventually you hear the person being described and go, I, wait a second, I don't like that. Or I want to do something different. Um, and so that was one for me. So the story is I had a brother, uh, youngest, my youngest brother was living in Italy. He was living in Florence. Um, and my wife and I were going to see him. She was six months pregnant with our first daughter. And, um, so this is year, this is 17 years ago, 18 years ago. And before I went, my dad said, Hey, be careful about the Duomo Cathedral. Like, hey, it's really, it feels really claustrophobic in there. Like that tower is really narrow. Like, and so he had said that to me and I didn't really think about it consciously, but subconsciously I started to kind of spin that soundtrack a thousand times before the trip. So we go on the trip, we get into the tower and I start climbing and I realize, like, whoa, he's, he's really right. Like, it's really narrow in here. And, like, there's not a lot of windows. Like, the windows were, like, you know, really thin. And, like, it was built in the 14th century. So I'm like, I don't know if I even trust this thing. I'm like, and you're doing this, these kind of loops as you climb up this tower. And you can't really see the progress because there's no windows. It's dark. You can barely pass two people at a time. It's damp. And I just start going, like, even as I describe it now, I can feel that. So I just start speeding up, like, going faster. And I don't say it, but, like, I end up, like, sprinting to the top of the tower. I burst through the door, like, I put in the book, like, uh, Tim Robbins at the end of Shawshank Redemption, like, <gasps> like deep breath. And, like, all these German tourists are like, what are you doing? And then, like, 
20 minutes later, my very pregnant wife finally makes it up and she's like, what are you doing? And I didn't know it then, but what I was doing was overthinking and your thoughts turn into your actions, which turn into your results. And what was fascinating and I think was validating for me and encouraging for me is seeing the science that talks about that. So like I tied that story to a story from Daniel Kahneman, who, you know, is a genius. He wrote this book, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow. And, and at NYU, this story, you know how like whenever you read a book or write a book, there's like a couple stories that like, you're like, why aren't more people talking about this? Yeah. So for me, they did this study where they brought two groups of college students in at NYU and they're like, hey, make some sentences out of these words. So they give them a word bank, like here's a hundred words or whatever, make some sentences. The second group, they say the same thing, but they hid words in that group related to being old. So Florida, retired, bald, words about being elderly. So the, both groups make sentences. And then they say the next part of the test is down the hall, please walk there. And they secretly timed them while they're walking. And the students who had read the words about being old unknowingly physically walk slower. Just reading words about being elderly made them act elderly. And so when you realize how susceptible, how malleable, how, you know, like neuroplasticity can change your brain, like you go, oh, like it makes you go, what are, what things am I putting in? Like, that's where you yeah. go, like, you know, during the pandemic, I caught myself watching like a news program with a running death toll, like a slot machine. I was like, it's weird. I feel negative. I want, I don't know why that is. I feel <laughs> negative. Like, I know why, like, but then also you go, what if I was deliberate about putting words of hope and joy and truth and encouragement and grit? Yeah. And like, what if, what if I did that and I made it a practice, what could I do? Like, that's where he, like, that was one of those stories. I was like, oh, no wonder I sprinted in the Duomo. Like I had rehearsed that thought that it was going to be challenging for three weeks straight. So the minute my foot hit that step, I was gone. Like I played that soundtrack at full volume. And I think once you realize, oh, I'm doing that, it gets really fun because you can change that. Yeah, which is, you know, it's really interesting that you say, you know, th throughout the pandemic, you you input something then you start thinking it and then you start acting it out and yeah. you wonder why you are. I spent uh, most of the year with my mm. parents who are in their 70s and my aunt and uncle who are in their 70s. And after a while, I started to feel as though I'm like living like in a retirement village. Yeah. Yeah. And I said to them, I was like this. I'm like, you know, and I started to have to really reframe my own thoughts because I was listening to everything that they were saying mm -hmm. because they were the people in my bubble. They were yeah. the people who were around me. And, and mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I love you and you're great, but I can't, I'm not retired. Yeah. And I'm not going to be here. You start acting like it. Like that's you the, do. I don't, I didn't put this story in the book, but like I moved into a retirement community. Um, when my parents moved, I was living with them in like my early twenties. Um, and they moved, and so I moved into a retirement community trailer home. And I was like the youngest person, and I started to act old. And I started like, I there was a rocking chair that I would sit in to watch TV. I started to like, and I put an Afghan blanket over my legs, and like, <laughs> I would start to watch CBS sitcoms and be like, that everybody loves Raymond is hilarious. He is a stitch. I swear to you, that Christmas I asked my parents for Christmas the gift I wanted was a foot massager, and they were like you're like 23. You don't need a foot massager. Like I <laughs> promise you I was becoming, and like, it was because that's the environment I was in and like you fit into the environment. So we always go like, 
show me your five friends, I'll show you who you are. Like, and sometimes you think, well, maybe that's a cliche. I don't think it is. I think the words you use have impact. The friends you keep have impact. The places you go have impact. Like you're being impacted by all these different inputs. And so your thoughts to me are like at the top of the food chain because yeah. they tend to cascade to other things. And that's what mm -hmm. uh, you know the research continued to show. When you first started not writing this book, because you've written many books before this. Yeah, I'm very successful. Yes. You are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just, it's always like the worst thing is I'm so glad you didn't read my bio before we started. Cause like sitting there while somebody reads your bio, like, Oh, did we send them that whole thing? Like, come on. Like, cause it's always like he shoots lasers from his eyes. Like he can walk on water, not completely deep water, but a lot of water. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> don't look at the flotation devices underneath. Yeah, exactly. It's a David Blaine thing. Stop asking questions. When you first started, though, you were, I want to know what your mindset was, because it obviously has to be different than it is now in order to get to this place. So what would you say is the difference between like when you first started as an entrepreneur and you were writing and you were, uh, yeah. you know, creating this life yeah. you have now then? Yeah. So I would say you know, there were good parts, there were bad parts. So one of the good parts was I had a lot of creative freedom because it wasn't my full-time thing. So like when I preach to people that are like, Hey, I want to do this side hustle and make it my full-time thing. I'm always like, well, don't, don't do it the wrong way. Cause you end up saddling all your bills and all your pressure to this new thing that hasn't even grown yet. And it cripples it. So like an example I sometimes give is like, I'll meet photographers that'll go at an amazing wedding season this year. I'm going to quit everything. And I'm like, well, like, hold on. Like maybe it's just one good season or maybe it's, and if they, I like my kind of soundtrack for that is I'd rather you get pulled toward the thing than push your way. There's times where you push your way impulsively and you're like, I'm doing it. And it blows up. There's other times where you grow something on the side of your life and the opera get tuning gets so big, it pulls you towards it. So at the start for me, I had a full-time job. I had two kids under the age of three. Like I didn't have a ton of margins. So that's when I really learned, okay, I'm going to get up early. I'm going to trade in some TV time for writing time. But there wasn't that sense of pressure where like it all felt like gravy because it was like, oh, my gosh, like somebody paid me 30 grand to write a book. That's amazing. Like I already have a job. And the joke, I, I love telling that story. And I think sometimes we're awkward about money, but like people would go, are you going to quit your job now? And I'd be like, well, after agent and taxes, I got 13 grand. And if I won a lottery for $13,000, nobody would be like, you moving to Mexico? Like, yeah. you call it like, this is it. You did it, dude. Like, it's time to retire. And so I would say at the beginning, my mindset, there was a lot of easy creative freedom because I was like, like, if it doesn't work, it's not my main thing. It's something I'm growing. And then I would say over time that as I learned to be a professional, as I learned to kind of hone it, as I learned to take care of clients in a different way, as I learned to kind of grow it, that changed for me over time. Um, and where I have to push back now is to not let it have too much pressure, to not go like, because an entrepreneur, one of their broken soundtracks is I'm one bad deal away from the whole thing falling apart. Like even my most successful entrepreneurs, like they're always like, oh, like this is like, we, let's see. And so I have to kind of myself go like be really specific. Like one that one of my soundtracks I listen to today, like and all the time is this. I've got a note card that says ask for more. And it was from August 27th because I found myself in, in meetings undervaluing what I did and undercharging. And I was like, okay, I need a reminder, need a soundtrack, ask for more, ask for more, ask for more. And that's helpful. So I'd say that's one of the ways things have evolved for me in the last 13 years or so. 
And even just to to go off of that, like asking for more, like a lot of people who are listening to this podcast are women yeah. that, you know, fall into the trap of really devaluing themselves. 100%. And, and that whole, you know, I, I was looking at even the list that you put in your book that, you know, is, is like an affirmation list and, mm-hmm. and a way to start your day, a way to yeah. end your day and really to like imprint your subconscious and to shift those mindsets and to mm-hmm. stop the loop. But, you know, ask for more, you know, how does a woman say, okay, you know, like I already feel like I'm not valuable in my space yeah. or yeah. in this so I mean, the, one of the one of the simplest ways, and I, I did a podcast episode about this because it's so I think it's so important. Um, I have this podcast called "All It Takes Is a Goal" um, that talks about this kind of stuff. So an example of that would be when people ask me to do stuff for free, and I was shocked how many industries that happens. And I'm a I'm a writer, so like I knew in copywriting it happens. Somebody goes, "Hey, I want you to tweak something." Tweak is Latin for it's going to take forever. By the way, like. It's never a tweak. But then I was like, it happens to photographers, graphic designers, hairstylists. Hairstylists would be like, hey, would you just come over? Like, um, It happens to stay-at-home moms where they go, hey, you're home anyway. Why don't we have a play date and you watch my kids for six hours? And you're like, that doesn't sound like a play date so much as it sounds like free babysitting. So I worked on that in my own life over and over and over again. And what I came to was um, three really simple words. Like when somebody asks you to do something for free, your first response is, what's your budget? You just say, what's your budget? And what's powerful about that is it removes the insult of, well, my hourly is this, or I'm worth this. Like, you don't have to bow up. You don't react out of anger. You don't react out of shame. I can't believe I have to do this. You say, what's your budget? And it, in a peaceful way, reminds them, you're not, this isn't a hobby. Like, just because you enjoy it doesn't mean you shouldn't get paid for it. Just because you might be good at it doesn't, you know, just because it looks like it comes easy to you, whatever. And so you say, what's your budget? And then one of two things is going to happen. They're going to tell you a budget, or they're going to say, I don't have a budget. Or they might say, everybody does this for free. They might try some sort of way to shame you from saying no into yes. And what you do in that moment is you send, and you do this via email. It's the easiest way, like do it in the format that's easy to you. Like that's the other, like that's one of the really unkind things we do is we pick the hardest format for us to communicate and think that's the only one that counts. So we go like, if you have a hard time face-to-face saying no to somebody, like do it via email. Like you have permission to do that. Do it via text. Like you don't. So you send an email back and say, well, in order to honor my paying clients, I'm not currently doing pro bono work, but thank you so much for thinking of me. That's it. I got to honor these paying clients. I'm not doing the pro bono work. That's it. And so like, it's not, it's not easy per se, but when you say like, I've had women come up to me and say, Hey, I tried that thing. And the client had $2,000 and I was going to do it for 500. And you go like, when I was becoming a public speaker, I was overwhelmingly surprised how often my value was different than the clients. And the client would go, no, we've got like, we got a whole budget for that. Like, and you go, oh, that's amazing. I'm glad I asked what, what's your budget, you know, and I'm glad I figured that out. So yeah, I think that's one of the simplest ways is you ask that question and you do it in a format you're most comfortable in, not your least comfortable. Because shame will say you have to be strong or powerful and do it face to face. Like, no, forget that. Like I told yeah. that to somebody the other day, a pastor said to me, I've got somebody really difficult at church who's always recommending ideas. They're not good ideas. What do I do? And I said, well, you ask them, you ask that person to email you the ideas because they're not going to. And you say, hey, I don't really have time to connect right now. Can you send me that in an email? Like, I'd love to see your thoughts because just that thin barrier is going to eliminate 98%. What they're doing, though, is throwing up on you in a lobby 
and then expecting you to do something with it. And so for me, like, no, like send it to me in an email. And it'll same with like communicate in the way that you feel most comfortable. That's great. That's great advice. And I think that for, you know, even touching on for stay at home moms, like that's so true. It's not just the executive that feels this or the person who a lot of bank. It's someone who, you know, is putting in a lot of effort and hours into the thing Mm -hmm. that they do and then finding that they are, you know, being taken advantage of in some way. And your friends should pay the most. Like, that's the thing. Your friends should pay the most. Like, why would a friend get a, a dis- crazy discount that you might not want to give them and a stranger pays more? Like, as friends, that should be our soundtrack. We tip the best. Now, if you want to donate time to a church or a charity, like, by all means, but that's not you doing something out of shame. That's you doing something out of joy. And I'm like, that's a completely different motivation. So for me, the other thing is when I say yes to something I wanted to say no to, I show up furious and no one is confused. Everyone can tell. Like, I might think like I'm holding it together, but I show up full of red hot rage and like (laughs) everybody knows it doesn't do the relationship any good so now you know i'm getting better at going okay if i do the thing i didn't want to do like just the other day like a week ago i did i said yes to something i knew i should have said no to but i you know for whatever reason fear and security i said yes to it after it ended i i I immediately called somebody on my team was like i these are no's from here on out like these are no's like i need your help that's the other thing get a no friend somebody in your circle is really good at saying no and like link arms with them. You don't have to be isolated. Like get a no friend who's like, Oh, I love no. It's my favorite. Like (laughs) I'll be your no coach. Like we need other people in our community. We're not meant to do this alone. So then my next question is, well, what determines your no now? Like what has, have you decided? Well, I'll give you a no. So I'll give you an example of a no. When somebody I don't know um, says to me, I've got a brand new podcast. I'd like you to be one of the first guests. I automatically say no because they're more than likely going to quit it. They don't have any listeners and they're the worst they'll ever be at the thing. So that's a terrible experience for both of us. Like, so like if two years in you go, Hey, I've been working really hard on this. I built up a platform. It's a skill that I've honed. Awesome. That's a different thing. But like, I never want to be somebody's first guest because like what a waste of both of our times. Like let's, and that's like my wife called me out on that one. I had a podcast that failed after eight episodes because I was just super lazy at it. I went in with like an ego, like John Egg, if I can just show up and say words and that'll be great. <laughs> like, and it was so poorly done on my end, not nobody else's fault but mine. And she was like, My concern is that because of the size of the platform, I think you'll get guests that'll say yes and you're not ready for them skill wise. So, like, that's true of Whoa. anybody. So, like, it's okay, true. Yeah. Like, so, like, I, there's probably people I could ask right now that might have massive platforms and I've had yeah. amazing people already. It's not that I haven't, but like, I'm also going, I want to get better at it. Like, I'm going to get better at it. I'm going to do some more reps. I want to, so that's one, that's an example for me of like, I've recognized that I need to say no to that. Another one I'll say no to is if somebody asks me, say they go, we want, I want to interview you on Instagram live. If I go to their feed and I could tell they bought their followers, that's not a good experience. Like, and so like, that's not going to, you know, or if I, if I read their stuff and I'm like, you know what, we really disagree with it. Like, um, we disagree on a lot of things and like, I think they have a big platform, but I'm going to have to become somebody else to meet them where they want to meet. Like, no, it's not. So like, I try to do that. And then another one would be the person I've learned this and I didn't come up with it. Um, but just the idea that the person who pays you the least will demand the most, like, that's just a life principle. The person who demands pays you the least will demand the most. And 
The problem, as my friend explained it to me, is that you have lowered your rate to get to where they are. So your expectation is this better be easy, this better be fast, this better be simple. You've lowered your rate. They've raised their budget. Like they are stretching to get you. So their expectation is they better ball out on this project. They better be amazing. So like you talk about a recipe for disaster, you're, you're saying this better be easy to do and quick. They're going, this better be white glove service. And dude, like your expectations are so busted. Like, so that's another one for me is if somebody goes, okay, we want to pay this rate and I, I can't figure out why it would be a good opportunity for both of us. Then like, let's not, let's not do that. That doesn't make yeah. sense. And it's interesting that you're bringing all this up because I think that for so many people, they have overthought the process mm-hmm. and they get stuck in the loop. And, and I want to ask you, like, what is the reason or the main reason people do get stuck in this overthinking loop? Well, I mean, I think it could be like, I think it could start a variety of ways. It can start um, somebody important to you said something that then became a rule. So mm-hmm. somebody in a position of power, a position of authority, sometimes it was an offhand comment. You know, a dad said, you're not a great natural leader. So you decided this is now a tattoo. I can't be a leader. Like I can't be a leader. Um, yeah. You know, there was a there was a man. Um, we we did this graphic where people post old soundtracks and new soundtracks, and he said one of his old soundtracks, a broken one, was I can't be a good dad because I didn't have a good dad. So like he didn't hear that from somebody. He heard that from himself. Because I didn't learn from a good dad, I can't be a good dad to my kids. And like what? That's a terrible broken soundtrack. And it was so fun to see him go. I can learn how to be a good dad because that's generational change. Like his kids will have a different childhood because he learned, even though my dad was a knucklehead, even though my dad wasn't the person I wanted him to be, that doesn't limit my ability to be the person those kids need like that. So it can happen from, you know, family of origin. It can happen from, um, I think insecurity. It can happen because, you know, I don't, I think every personality can overthink. I think some might be more prone to it. So you might say, okay, this person is really analytical and I can get stuck into a loop. Um, I think sometimes it happens from ignorance. We just don't even know we're doing it. And until somebody goes, hey, I think like a nine-year-old, if a nine-year-old says to a parent, I'll never be good at math, that's a broken soundtrack because they're making a declaration at nine years old about how the rest of their life's going to be. And if they keep saying that, like by the time they're 29, they've spent 20 years repeating that thought like that's really like that's really ingrained and and maybe nobody told them that but they just started practicing it because they ran into something that was difficult and nobody stopped and said wait wait wait, wait a second like we're gonna say i can get better at math because that's true and it's actually pushes you in the right direction versus the declarative of i'll never do this like every diet will always fail like every you know i always say like broken soundtracks travel in absolutes so i think they can come from a variety of, of places and i don't think they're just one gender or the other I and mean, we asked the phd who helped me uh research the book this guy mike peasley we asked ten thousand people if they struggle with overthinking and 99.5 percent of people said yes so it's not a certain gender or a certain personality it's everybody yeah you know when you said the math thing i was like that was me and I really had that belief that I failed grade 10 math yeah. three times. Yeah. And, you know, I remember hearing my mom say to me, well, your dad failed grade 12 math three times. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, you know, you're not going to be good at math. And I remember yeah. getting to college and then having that same soundtrack, like I'm never going to be good at math. Yeah. And and eventually I literally I not only did I think I wasn't going to be good at math, but I thought I wasn't smart. 
yeah so, like equated to me not just about well you don't understand math problems or algebra or it was like you're just not smart yeah and that's the thing about yeah. i always tell people soundtracks tend to deteriorate in a negative fashion left on their own um, like the, the shorthand way I say it is like fear comes free, faith takes work, fear comes free, hope takes work. You never have to look for negativity. It'll find you. Like you'll be in the grocery store and something dumb you said 10 years ago will pop in. You'll go, Oh, like what? And so it's super common for, I failed math three times, which is a true statement. That's fine. It's true. Like to turn into, I'll never be good at math to I'm not smart. And like mine, the example I give for my life, I had an ad agency that we started just go, it exploded in a terrible way. I had to save the client relationship and I had to kind of swoop in and fix this crisis. And I learned I can function in a crisis, which is good. That's a, that's a fine thing. But over yeah. time that turned into, I function best in a crisis. And over time that yeah. turned into, I need a crisis to function. So everyone listening to this right now has worked with a leader who was amazing at putting out fires, but when there's no fires, they feel worthless. And leaders don't like to feel worthless, so they start a new fire. And we've all had, and they start chaos and stress. And so I've seen that in my own life where something that was true, you know, maybe factual, mutated over time into something that really wasn't, you know, beneficial to my life. Mm -hmm. So how do you change that? Like, how do you start the process to stop overthinking? Well, I mean, the first thing you do is, I think there's a couple, there's a couple things you can do. One is you can identify a broken soundtrack. And the easiest exercise to do that, in my opinion, is you just write down something you want to do. Write down a goal, write down a dream, write down a hope. It doesn't have to be massive. I think we put this tremendous pressure on ourselves to go like come up with your perfect, you know, true north or whatever. Um, so I just mean like write down, I want to I want to get married or I want to date my spouse more. I want to start a podcast. I want to write a book. I want to move to a different city in Canada because I now have $19 million and can afford a house. Like whatever, <laughs> like write down something you want to do and then listen to your first thoughts. Like yeah. listen to your reaction because every reaction is an education. So if your first thoughts are, well, I don't get to do that. Like I didn't, you know, like for me, an example that would be like, I'm, I'm trying to grow my business. And when I write that down, I hear, well, your dad wasn't an entrepreneur and he didn't have a business when you were young. Like, like every successful entrepreneur when they were like four or like in the womb had a, had a business. Like Elon Musk was like a zygote and had an amazing business. You'll never be like that. You're like, whoa, I didn't. So you write down that. And if it's not a positive soundtrack, it's a negative one. And you go, okay, well, let me ask it three questions. And these are the three questions that I think help the most. Number one, is it true? Is the thing I'm telling myself over and over true? Number two, is it helpful? Like when I listen to this, does it push me forward or move me back? Number three, is it kind? If I said it to a friend, would they still want to be my friend? And what's been interesting is that usually in the podcast I've done about this idea, somewhere in the middle, it changes from an idea to like a heart conversation. And so I was on this podcast with this dude and we were talking about the three questions and he was like, oh no. And I was like, what? He said, well, I've had the number one podcast in my space for nine months. And the soundtrack I keep listening to is you're lucky, you're lucky, you're lucky. Mm -hmm. And he said, if a friend came over and they had spent nine months working really hard on the thing, I never say, you're just lucky, you're just lucky, you're just lucky. And he said, so if I, if I won't say that to a friend, why am I saying it to myself? And I thought that's a really great question that that really is. And so those are Trojan horse questions. If you'll ask those questions, like they're simple on the outside, it's words you've heard, like there's nothing fancy, but if you actually sit with it, you'll probably find some broken soundtracks. And then the next process is you retire them 
you replace them with new ones and you repeat the new ones so often they become as automatic as the old ones. That's always kind of the three steps. Would you also say that you were somebody who overthinks things in their lives and feels as though you are stagnant in your business? Maybe you are a multi-passionate entrepreneur, a coach, a speaker, a writer, a podcaster, and you desperately want things to change in your life, but the patterns of your thoughts are really keeping you from moving forward. And you know what it's costing you? It's costing you getting the right clients. It's costing you business. It's costing you really having the financial freedom that you need to move forward. This summer, I'm going to be opening up a brand new program for those people who are ready to shift the soundtrack of their lives. And if that is you and you're somebody who really wants to stand in your confidence and truly create out of a place of authenticity and really get to express who you are in a whole new way without completely overthinking everything all the time, then I'd love to hop on a call with you to see if this program is a fit for you. It is going to be running in a beta format this summer. So it is absolutely brand new. I would love for you to be a part of it. In order for you to jump on a call with me, just go to my website, andreacrisp.ca forward slash accelerator. And we will talk about this new program, see if it's a fit for you. And I'd love to have you be a part of the Confidence Accelerator. I was just working with a, uh, an artist yesterday and we were talking about, you know, the soundtrack. He's a musician mm-hmm. and the soundtrack of Nashville. Yeah, yeah. In, in the sense of the industry. Right. Mm-hmm. And what the industry says. And I and I was even just saying to him, I'm like, you know what, if you listen to every other artist and them complaining about what they get from their management or the mm-hmm. industry, you're also going to internalize that same thing and yep. you're going to get the exact same results they're getting. I said, mm-hmm. you got to stop listening to what they're saying and also, you know, apply that in your own life. Those are great questions to ask yourself. Is it well, and the true? thing with is it helpful? Yeah. The thing with that situation is you're practicing negativity. You're borrowing yeah. somebody else's negativity. And then you find the things you're looking for. So every time they go, here's how it always is. This is the situation. Then like at the barest hint of that, you go, see, I knew it. It's a confirmation because your brain uses confirmation bias. Your brain likes to believe the things it always already believes. So it ha- it's, it's sensitive to those things. So if you tell, you know, if you tell your brain, everyone's always out to get you, like that's the, like management is always trying to screw you, always trying to screw you, always trying to screw you. Like, there's some truth to that. Yeah, there's definitely people that take advantage of people, 100%. You have to be wise. You have to get good counsel. But you're also telling yourself that's the norm, and you'll, you're going to start seeing that everywhere you go, and you're going to go into meetings with that clenched fist and and really change the feeling of the whole meeting and really change your ability to do partnerships or do growth because you're going in thinking, okay, I know there's booby traps here. I don't want to step in them. Yeah. For you, as you have grown, mm-hmm as an entrepreneur, as you've sure. grown even in yourself, like how have you found yourself navigating that exact thing? So like, I'm sure that there's, you know, different spaces that you have had to enter mm-hmm. where you're having to shift the soundtrack. Yeah. So, I mean, there's been times where, and I use that as an example because that's one for my own life. 
where I've had business deals go poorly, where like yeah. I got taken advantage of because I was young or I didn't understand whatever for a variety of reasons. And it's really easy for me to go into every new meeting with that thought of like, okay, like be on your guard. Like you can't trust the Like, so sometimes, I mean, like I have one right here. I'll just hold it up. Like this one says people are trying to give you money. Like people are trying to give me money. Like that's why we're talking. They're trying like, cause I think about that with like, right now. Yeah. When I like, when I go to a restaurant and a waiter or a waitress is a jerk, I want to say, I'm just trying to give you money. Like I'm not in your kitchen. Like I didn't, this isn't a home invasion. Like you're at work, you have food. I'd like to pay for it. I'd love to give you a baller tip. That's like, that's what I'm trying to do. And so like when I meet with a new client, I'll yeah. go in with that attitude versus look out for the traps, like look right. out for the, but I also go in with wisdom. So like another soundtrack that I'd use is if their lawyer is there, yours should be too. If their lawyer is there, yours should be too. So I'm like, I'm like, Hey, everything's cool. Like, but if I sit down and they've got a lawyer with them, then I better have a lawyer too. Like if they send me documents that are from their lawyer, I better have my lawyer look at it too. So it's not that I'm going in with some sort of like Pollyanna, like fake positivity. I am trying to ahead of time go, what do I want to be thinking in that meeting? What are the soundtracks? Cause I, you have a soundtrack for every person in your life. Everyone has a friend or a work colleague, whatever, where you see their name pop up on your phone. You don't have to even read the text and you're like this, oh, this guy. And like, you have to stop and go, okay, what, you know, how do I fix that? What do I want to do with that? Like, how do I, you know, I want that to go well. We both want something similar. Like, so I'll ask questions like, what's their real motive? Like they want to look good for their boss. Cool. Like they're not, it's not, they're not trying to get me. Like yeah. they want to make the most money. Like how can we do that together? So if I'll think that ahead of time versus just rolling in with all the bad soundtracks I've gathered to difficult situations, it changes our ability to actually create something productive. And that exact example that you just gave is something that I took from the book because mm -hmm. I, as soon as I read that, I knew, you know what, that is true. I do have mm -hmm. a soundtrack for every person in my life mm -hmm. and I'm rehearsing that over and over. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm keeping them there also yep. because I'm not allowing, you know, for them to grow and change. As oh, that's I so true. Them. So true. Right? Yeah. So, so it's like they may be doing, and I started realizing through the pandemic that there were a lot of relationships that I have that we weren't talking because of proximity or, you know, mm -hmm. just things that were going on. And all of a sudden I, I was still living in the old soundtrack of who they were mm -hmm. and expecting them to show up the way they were like pre pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I got, into a conversation with them afterwards, I was like, you're Andrea, like, what were you thinking? Like mm -hmm. they have grown and changed and shifted, mm -hmm. but you were living in this loop of who they were, mm -hmm. not even giving them an opportunity for them to grow and change or for my perception yep. or for me to grow and change in order to perceive them differently. That's such a powerful thing to realize because essentially it's like saying, no, you're 1989, you're 1989, Jim or you're 1999, like where we on our end are like, I'm growing, I'm changing, I'm evolving. Like I'm apologizing for things, whatever. Like I'm learning yeah. to, you know, be truthful, like about, about my feelings, whatever, but that person possibly can't be. So like, when you think about what version, like even like Ken and Barbie, like, Oh, that's Malibu Ken. Like, no, that's, that's always lies. Jim, like, sorry. He lied to me in 1997 and that's, he still lives yeah. there. Like he's, 
I think that's a really, really powerful thing to recognize. Um, and like one of mine that's, a, you know, on a practical level is if I text somebody and they don't text back, um, one of my sound trucks is assume they're busy. Like assume they're busy. Don't assume they're like, I hate you. They don't like, like you. They don't like you. Or like, don't like, <clears throat> I always say a sign of overthinking is when you go and read a sent email. Like the email's already gone. Like there's nothing you can do about it. It's out the door. And like six days later, you're like, was it light and breezy enough? Did I use enough exclamations? Like, could they have like, and you're in your sent inbox, like reading things that have already gone out or you're rereading a text versus going, there's a lot of texts I don't respond to. And it's not because I, I was mad or upset. It was just like, I got it when I was sitting, you know, in the grocery store and then it disappeared from my life. And I didn't, yeah. and I like, by the time I see it, I feel embarrassed to go back around and be like, Hey, three weeks later, you're right. I do like oranges, like, you know, something like innocuous. Um, so yeah, if I can assume that, assume they can grow too is another good one. Like assume yeah. they can grow too. Yeah, that's good. Now I want to leave people with some of the, the different things that you you personally use like mm -hmm. you've shared a few of them you showed me the cards which i love yep. Yep. so like if you guys could see this you'd see these cards that that john's showing me and they are what you use every single day what are some things that people can use to start changing the soundtrack yeah so i mean i think one really th easy thing to do is just start paying attention um don't feel like you have to sit down with a blank piece of paper and come up with some amazing soundtrack um mm -hmm. you know i talk in the book about like borrow from the best like when something inspires you when something is encouraging like the other day i had a friend of mine a friend of mine named sean said you know because he was growing his business he says you only get one of two things you get growth or control and i thought oh it's so good that's so true so i, I have this white you know whiteboard in my office where I write down things like that, where I'm like, okay, I want to be able to remember that. And it's not complicated. It's not super sexy. It's not long, but it's just like, that's a thought that, okay, I want to sit with that for a little while. Like, cause there's times where I'm trying to control a situation and also grow and they feel like they're fighting each other. And that's helpful. Like today on Instagram, there's just somebody's comment on Instagram. I was talking about perfectionism and they said, I was talking about like all or nothing thinking. And they said, one of the soundtracks they use is all or something all or something like that's brilliant like yeah and i was like oh that's so good that was a random dude that commented on an instagram thing like but that can encourage me so like one of the things i'd say is like just open yourself up to the possibility that there's a lot of great soundtracks in your life already and then take the take the 10 seconds to write them down or take the 10 seconds to put them in your phone like i like overthinking another sign of it is when before an idea even leaves your brain and you write it down, you think it's dumb, nobody needs that, and you don't, you self-edit before you even yeah. write it down. Like every idea is worth at least the 10 seconds to write it down or to think through it. Um, so that would be a really simple way to go into it. And then the other thing I'd say is I'm a big believer in finding symbols to tie new soundtracks to. So simple symbols that help you remember the thing you're trying to learn. Um, so like I have one on my desk and it's just a pine cone. And I picked it up on, on the street in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. They were free, 100% free right there on the street, just giving them away, this super generous tree. And I picked this up because before we went to Jackson Hole, I knew the trip was going to happen about three weeks before my new book came out. And so it was going to be really tempting to be physically present and mentally absent, like because I'd be stressed about the book launch, all this stuff. So a soundtrack I practiced before I went was like, don't miss it, don't miss it, don't miss it. And when I was in Jackson Hole, I was present enough to notice that this, this pine cone is completely different than any pine cones we have in Nashville. Like the design looks so different. 
And I was like, okay, I'm going to take that home. Like I flew this home from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. It sits on my desk because there's going to be other things I'm tempted to miss. And I want a reminder of don't miss it. So like, that's a neat symbol for me. Not complicated, wasn't expensive. Um, it was super easy to do, but it helps me remember like, oh, that's right. I don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss it. And the same way that a song can take you back to sitting there listening, you know, to, I think it was Greg Waxel or Matt Waxel or something. What was his name? Greg Wessel. Greg Wessel. Okay. Greg Wessel. I was so close. I just listen. A lot of people say that they're like, thank you for how good you are at listening, John. And I say, you're welcome. Um, but like in the same way that can take you back, something simple like that can take me back yeah. and it's encouraging. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I have to share a quick story with you because as I got your book, you know, and I was taking a look at, you know, people who I would love to have on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, man, I could possibly have John Acuff on my podcast. That'd be so cool. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I've read his other books and like and and I remember contacting, you know, the people who, you know, bring these before me. Sure. And saying, hey, yeah, that'd be great. Like, I would love. And and the, the immediate response was, well, you know, probably not. Like, yeah. just so you know, like, it's it's a low, low, low chance, low probability. Yeah. And um, it was interesting because I was in that time of my own life where I was really having to over, I was having to shift the overthinking. Sure. And I was having to get out of those old soundtracks of what the old story was, the old narrative what I deserve or don't deserve as a podcaster, as a communicator, sure. as who I am. You know, I'm always going to stay in this lane and I'm always going to be here. I'm never, ever going to grow. Yeah. I'm uh -huh. never, ever going to have people on the podcast that I think are amazing and I would like to have conversations with. Yep. And and I just literally I wrote in, in my journal and I used some of the, the examples that you have in the book. Mm -hmm. I actually did use this book, guys. So that's great. I highly suggest getting the book soundtracks. And I just said, I make an intention that, you know what, if this is the right thing and he's the right yeah. fit, that mm -hmm. this works. And it was so funny because I never ever did get an email in response from them saying, oh, by the way, it's booked. Yeah. I literally just got in my calendar one day, you know, just random, you know, you're in yep. your phone, you see in a calendar sure. pop up. John Acuff's interview. And I was like, that's, and I so thought crazy. To myself, that's hilarious. I was like, yeah. okay. And it was, it was a, the power of changing the soundtrack. Totally. And I, I really felt like it was like, it's like, you know, if you're, if you're born in, in the seventies, which I am, um, yeah. and you listened to the radio growing up, when you turned into a certain frequency, you got one radio station Yep. and that was the music you heard all the time. Yep. But as you, you know, change locations or you want something different, you tune the dial, the frequency was different, you got a different radio station, you got a new soundtrack, and all of a sudden what's coming through on that soundtrack is something that is for this new season of your life and for something that you can grow in. Mm -hmm. And and I was like, I received that. I was like, yes. That's amazing. And, and so it was really cool because it was like real time use mm -hmm. of something that I, you know, got and was able to read of your book. Well, I so, love that. I love hearing you. that and, and hearing about like, recognizing keeping people in old places it's so like i love that my friend al andrews says like he said if i have an argument with my wife in the morning and i leave for work when i come home that night i have to apologize because i've been lying for her all day i've been saying things she didn't say 
and he says that's lying for somebody else and i was like that is it's that exact thing of like wait a second i've kept them i've kept them one version i think that's so fun like and so it's encouraged me to hear like this is how it's helped because sometimes you know it's it's you sit in an office like this and you put your ideas out and you go i hope this connects with somebody else so hearing that they do is fantastic yeah and honestly i think the the game changer is when you can shift the narrative you can mm-hmm. shift the soundtrack because you start to be the person you were created to be in that mm-hmm. way because you're not so attached to the old soundtrack and the old story well you're not defending it you're not trying to find proof for it you're not looking for evidence you go i'm gonna spend all that that's what i say like overthinking steals time creativity and productivity and so if you work on it guess what you get back time creativity and productivity like where the one of the things i put in the book was just if you can worry you can wonder if you can doubt you can dominate if you can spin you can soar so all that creativity you've been applying to the old story about yourself you can apply to the new story and it might feel awkward at first because you might not believe it at first like there's times where like you don't believe the new thing yet because it's new it feels like wearing your your mom's dress at the eighth grade dance or your dad's blazer (laughs) at the like it doesn't fit yet but you give it time and you grow into it and it's so fun when you you'll look up one day and go wait a second like i've been believing this for a year it's different like and you go, oh, okay, yeah, all right. Well, I got to continue, and you continue to do it. It's a practice. It's not a, it's not yeah. a one or done. Like like most life change, it's a practice that you get to work on, and that's what I think is fun. Yeah, and it's a beautiful one to boot. So I I, I really appreciate this book. Oh, it's great. A great book. I'm so glad you liked it. And this has been a, yeah. a blast of a blast of an interview. We covered a lot from from Nuno Betancourt and Extreme to uh, not keep Shania Twain. Shania Twain, yeah. <laughs> I feel like in Canada, by law, I think Trudeau makes you guys say Shania Twain's name at least once um, in every he, podcast. He really does. Like, it's a provincial that thing. That and Justin Bieber. Yeah, Justin Bieber. It's a pro- like, Michael J. Fox. Um, Ryan Reynolds is Canadian, right? <laughs> yeah, Ryan Reynolds. Ryan oh, Reynolds. Yeah. Alanis Morissette. Yeah. They were engaged, yeah. which is crazy to think about. That's bizarre. I did not know that. Thank you didn't you know that, that as a Canadian? No, I don't. We should look that know. up. But I'm almost positive that they were, they, I'm pretty sure they were engaged. Ryan Reynolds and Alanis Morissette, which now you're like, there's no way. Like, Yeah, I know. You know, it's so interesting because, like, you know, I definitely went through that phase where I just, like, listened to Alanis Morissette, like, at the highest volume uh, in yeah. my in my little, uh, I think it was, like, a, a Nissan Micra. And, nice. you know, I was like raging mad at every boyfriend ever in sure. high school. You and, ought like, to know. Jagged you ought Little to know. Pill, yeah. the soundtrack yeah. of my yeah. teenage life. Yeah. That was a great <laughs> album. And then, like, I don't think people remember the, like, she did an MTV Unplugged, which was super great, too. Because it was, like, this slower, like, some of her stuff, you're just like, dang. I mean, her new, her newest album, I, I forget, I forget the name of the album, but she has a song on there. It's like, the reasons I drink or something and it's so well written and it's about her like I tried to get fame and it wasn't filling and here's the like it's pretty like I like her a lot so like she's a brilliant songwriter Alanis Morissette Fiona Apple like there's all these really you know fun songwriters that I think we got to grow up with in the 90s because I'm from the 70s too yeah well you know before you go I would love for people to know where can they get the book how can they actually find you you know online and then I've got one question for you 
after that. You can get the book anywhere books are sold. Um, I have a podcast called All It Takes is a Goal, which is super fun. Um, so you can listen to that anywhere. And then online, I'm acuff.me, like www.acuff.me. And then on Twitter, Instagram, like I'm on all the on all this stuff. Okay, and so, I will put all the links to that in the show notes. So, people so can, many links, so can, many links. Can get, oh, yeah. you can read the first chapter for free. Oh, God, I should say this, at soundtracksbook.com. Okay. So soundtracksbook.com, first chapter. Yeah, this is I. This is a highly recommended book from me. Love it. Awesome. Love it, love it, love it. One of the questions I love to ask people just before they sure. go is, what is your next brave step? My next brave step is um, I'm turning in another book idea to the publisher. So that the last time between books was like four years because I just got creatively stuck. So I'm deliberately not getting creatively stuck on this. Yeah. And I've got another book idea. So I'm turning that in like today. I'm going to email my agent and be like, yeah, let's send that idea in. Because I sent him like six pages the other day. And he's like, dude, I think we should send this in. I'm like, let's do it. So that's my next brave step. Definitely. That's amazing. Thanks for being on the Courage Cast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. There are so many incredible takeaways, but I wanted to go over one that I thought was just really helpful because it's something that I've used personally in my own life. And I think that if you're an overthinker or you tend to ruminate over the same things, then this is going to be something you want to put into practice so that you can stop and interrupt the pattern of overthinking. So it's really asking yourself three questions. And John talked about this in the podcast, but you're asking yourself, first of all, is it true? So is this narrative that you are thinking about, is it true for your life? Second, is it helpful? You know, so often we have these narratives, these thoughts that are going through our minds. And the reality is, is they are neither true nor helpful to our lives in any way. And the third question is, is it kind? Would you be saying this to anyone else? Likelihood of that being the case is, you know, very slim. So when you're asking yourself, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it kind? Those are questions that really help you get to the bottom of whether or not this is a soundtrack that needs to be replaced in your own life. John says, then if it isn't true, helpful, or kind, retire them and replace them with something new. Guys, I have loved this conversation and I would love for you to take a screenshot of this episode, tag myself at Andrea Crisp Coach, as well as at John Acuff, and just let us know what your big takeaway is from this episode. But also make sure you go out and get yourself a copy of Soundtracks. It is a really incredible book. I have it highlighted from front to back. I've absolutely loved having John on the show and I've of course loved hanging out with you. You know, this is the favorite part of my week is just really taking that time just to connect with you. So if we haven't already connected, make sure you do over on Instagram until next time. Remember you have everything you need to live bravely. If you like this episode of The Courage Cast, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a rating and review, and while you're there, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Original music and production by Stephen Krillick.